This is Doug Lorick from Graphic Nature and Roadside Monument, and you're listening to my chapter of As the Story Grows. What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Dominate. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? I am being realistic. As the story grows. I always want to be part of a small rebellion. You got this, Travis. Make them wait for it. kind of want to start more uh, recent history, um, and I guess that uh, the reunion show that Roadside did in 2017, um, I'm curious if you were surprised by the uh, the press and hype that that show got. Uh, Lars got rich at NPR Music, did a, a piece on it. I, I'm curious your thoughts on the response to that one-off show. Um, yeah, it was, uh, well, um, I mean, the show itself was kind of just a <laughs> shock that it even, even happened. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was kind of so quickly, I mean, the amount of time from when we announced it to the show was, you know, maybe like two weeks and, uh, uh, you know, I was I was definitely surprised by a little bit of the press that we got on it. It was it was really cool that Lars flew all the way out from Washington Washington D.C. to come see us. Um, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I think if I was to go back in time, though, I think that I mean that show was was really fun. We had a really good time and stuff. I would, I think if I was to go back in time and if I knew we were gonna um, excuse me, turn it into a full scale show. Um, we probably would have maybe, you know, had a little bit more time from when we announced it to the actual show, but because it was kind of a last second put together deal that we, you know, oh, people didn't think we were like holding out info on them, but it just didn't really, uh, come together until probably like three weeks before Jonathan before on what sailor was going to be out here. So, um, cause they had, uh, Jonathan who was in town any time on sailor was going to come into town. Um, which just seems to be about once every couple of years, Jonathan will get a hold of me and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to be in on going to be up in your neck of the woods, you know, it'd be cool to see you. And I usually always try to make it out. And, you know, he had, he had alerted me that they were going to be playing a show 
And I said, cool, you know, definitely try to be there. And then uh, he happened to get a hold of me and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm actually going to be in town a few weeks before then because he was coming up here to come see you two play. And um, he was our friend, uh, another friend of ours, Dan, who was in a band called Adivin that Roadside did some touring with. And so um, they were both going to be up here. And I thought, oh, yeah, that'd be great, you know, uh, good to see you and Dan and and uh we ended up getting together for some dinner and stuff and then we just kind of just kind of came up with this idea i was like hey you know i know on what's playing up here in three weeks you know what do you what do you think about maybe playing a couple roadside songs it was kind of just a spur of the moment idea that you know i thought <laughs> you know i didn't think it would actually happen it was just kind of almost like oh you know what do you think about this but Jonathan was into it, and I thought, well, you know, we could probably pull two or three songs out pretty quickly, you know. And <laughs> but it kind of just, uh, kind of just, uh, <laughs> kind of grew from there, I guess you'd say. Uh, then eventually we ended up playing like a full scale show, but um, but yeah, so it would, so that was that's why there was only like a brief period of time between when the <laughs> when we announced that we were going to play to the actual show. Because I remember there was a few people who were like. I think after the show happened, we're like, I didn't even know you guys played, and I would have known. I would have tried to be up there and stuff, and we're like, well, we we didn't even, you know, know until three weeks before the show, and and um, but uh, but yeah, we were we were, you know, to get some, you know, as Lars did the write up on it was just, you know, that was just great, and he did such a great piece on it. Um, yeah, we we were definitely uh ecstatic about you know how the show went and you know how the i guess how the uh uh follow-ups were as far as people you know writing about it and seemed to be positive i mean we only had one <laughs> one practice of two hours and 15 years before the show and we were worried about whether how good we were going to be so that people seemed to respond to it pretty positively so yeah we were we were very uh grateful for the uh feedback that's cool i asked uh russ from joe christmas a similar question but was have you been surprised at kind of the way the fandom or hype around roadside has grown over the years or or was there just as much excitement back in the day uh no, I, I would say it definitely it, it grew. It it definitely grew in the in the years that we were broken up. Definitely like kind of like right after we first broke up, you know, back in like ninety ninety eight, I think it was ninety eight ninety nine. And yeah. um, uh, I mean, because when we first kind of got together, I mean, well, that that that's a whole other you know road to go down. But when we first started touring, it was. You know, we were we were touring. You know, we did our first tour was with like Stacey and it was like a Christian. You know, playing you know coffee houses and gymnasiums or whatnot, and and uh, yeah, like a lot of people like <laughs> did not like us at first. Like as far as on that tour, we were like because I mean. I think we thought we were pretty good fit with Stave Saker, you know. Um, mm -hmm. as, as far as stylistically, we, you know, we were, we were different, but, uh, you know, it wasn't like completely, 
you know, off the beaten path style-wise from what they were like. And But, uh, you know, we were a little bit more instrumental, a little bit, you know, kind of, you know, long instrumentals. And I think maybe, you know, just required a little more patience. <laughs> I just don't think yeah. that that... Uh, that that was a good you know that just didn't work at the time i think people were just very yeah a little bit defiant at first but uh you know over time each tour got a little bit better i mean after that first tour we were just very convinced that we were we were just weren't cut out for the whole christian coffee shop thing anyways we were just like this really isn't our our vibe and and we, we never really considered ourselves like a Christian band anyways. So we were like, I mean, as far as how we ended up on Tooth and Nail is kind of a, another story as well. But it, we kind of quickly were like, this is, you know, after that first tour, we were like, we need to branch out a little bit and, and <laughs> yeah. not do the Christian circuit, you know. And um, Because I remember on that first Stasaker tour, we played a, um, we did end up playing like one, bar on that whole tour you know it was a place in Cincinnati I think it was in Cincinnati called Sudsy Malone's and I remember that was like our favorite show almost of the whole tour and and uh Stasaker just hated it they were like this is just terrible you know and I mean because it, it wasn't very well attended so that might have been why they they didn't care for it but I remember we were like oh this is way more our it just it just felt a little bit more comfortable for us you know and um i remember after that we were just very like you know next tour let's just try to like book i wouldn't call them regular places but let's just not play christian you know uh you know churches or any of that stuff because it just it just wasn't us you know and so um so like i felt like the tours after that we were a little bit more in our elements i felt like you know, we were playing to, you know, I hate using the word secular, but, you know, we were just, we just were playing to kind of more people, I think, that were kind of a little bit more into the style of music that we were doing, you know, uh, because Christian scene at that time was really like, you were kind of like, you know, it was ska, pop punk, you know, uh, the heavy stuff was kind of more like hardcore, you know, and, and so we were kind of like, we didn't fit into any of that, you know. I mean, maybe a little bit, I, you know, we played with a few hardcore bands on tours, and I, it felt like those those audiences definitely kind of appreciated it a little bit better. But um, uh, so we just felt like, well, play with the bands we want to play with. We just need to go play clubs or just regular regular all-ages places. So we felt like from there on, our, our, our uh, shows and, I guess, if, you know, we garnered – fans i think we just kind of got into a better landscape as far as the uh people that we felt like would like us you know from then on but i think that as far as christian label you know christian kids and whatnot i felt like they kind of started i felt like we broke up and then they kind of kind of (laughs) kind of caught on after we broke up like you know it was like oh well now we're you know the few kids that christian kids that did like us i felt like kind of more came on the scene after we we broke up and but uh but yeah I, I felt like there was like four years between when we broke up in 98 till 2002 that 
it definitely was like, oh, you know, people are, I, I was totally, I had kind of dropped out of the whole scene anyways. Like, so I had no clue that there was, you know, a little small, you know, bubble of, you know, kids out there that were like, oh, you know, we're starting to catch on the roadside, you know, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't until I kind of got feedback from like, you know, Jonathan Ford and they're like, oh no, people are, you know, they're really stoked and they, they really, you know, that, yeah, it kind of just caught on kind of later, you know, and then so when we did get back together and for a brief period in 2002, it, it, um, you know, it felt like, okay, we're, you know, felt like we were finally kind of, you know, a little bit more appreciated, I guess you'd say. So, yeah, for sure. Well, you brought it up. How did you guys get hooked up with Tooth and Nail? Um, gosh, that's, uh, well, I, we were, uh, um, well, gosh, I'm trying to figure out the best way to start this. Um, I kind of got another band. I, I had an original band I, I played with back when I was like in high school called Waterfront. And, um, which was me and the original bass player for Roadside Monument, Todd Florence, and another guy, uh, Jim Quackenbush. And we were just kind of a Nirvana ripoff more than anything. Um, but he, we had a song come out on like a, a, a compilation, and Brandon Evil heard that song. And I remember somehow we, he would, he didn't have Tooth and Nail going yet, um, at that time, but he was, he was kind of getting ready to start that label and we had some affiliation with him. I, I can't remember if it was through like Matt Johnson or whatever, because my old band waterfront played some shows with don't know, which is Matt Johnson's old band, his high school band. Mm -hmm. and, and we all became friends and stuff and played a few shows together. And, and I, I believe that he was kind of more affiliated with, with Matt or something to that effect. And, he had, I remember he flew up here because I don't think that Brandon lived here at that time. I think he lived in California, but I, I could totally be wrong on that. And he uh, came up here and he was like, "Oh, you know, I was in the waterfront and stuff." And and we were like, "I'm like, oh, that band's broken up, but you know, we got this new band going." And he was like, "Oh, you know, let me know when you guys, you know, get anything going because I'm gonna start doing this new label and whatever." And, you know, it took me a while to get another band going, but um, uh, when I started doing the initial roadside stuff um, with Todd, Mike, and Joel, um, we would practice uh, sometimes at, uh, there was a group house at that time called, like, the House of Funk that Matt lived at, um, and a few had, like, Evan, who played in, in Blenderhead, and... Uh, Dan, who played in Blender, like pretty much most of the Blender guys live there, <laughs> and a few other. I think that Damian Dorado lived there for a little while, and um, uh, we we would practice at their house sometimes because it was just we had nowhere else to play. And I remember we we played there a few times, and uh, I believe the one time that Matt Johnson like uh, called Brandon and held the phone up during our practice and was like, "Oh, you." You should sign these guys, you know, and and then uh, uh, Brandon, you know, got a hold of us and said, hey, you know, I want to sign you guys. I'm not even really totally certain if, if Brandon ever saw us live or not. Um, yeah, like, because 
I, I kind of want to think that he did, but I think that he may have just come to like a rehearsal or something, and he was kind of into it. We were a real uh, loose, <laughs> uh, non-type band at that time, so I, that's why I kind of ventured to think that maybe he didn't see us play live because he may not have wanted to sign us after that. But we were we were all pretty pretty junior musicians at that time. I was I was still pretty new at guitar and. Uh, um, you know, our, our, our drummer, Joel was, you know, he, he was probably a little bit more cut out for being in like a British pop band, maybe than being in a, I don't know, kind of style that we were trying to do, but it worked out pretty well. We were all, I mean, we all got along really well and we were just, you know, we all had kind of a similar taste and, you know, uh, it, you know, we were able to get some songs together that I thought were pretty decent. So Brandon like had us. We did that seven inch with them, and then uh, you know eventually went did the record. But I remember us signing this record record deal with them. Actually, it was really funny because at that time we had actually started practicing at another house up north that was a friend of ours. That was funny. We practiced all these houses that none of us lived at, but we had friends who had you know living rooms where they had a bunch of equipment, and we were like, "Hey, can we just come and rehearse for a couple hours?" And that house was. Uh, some of the guys from this band called Soul Food. I don't know if you ever heard of them, but uh, oh yeah, Soul Food. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they lived up north in kind of North Seattle, and we we would rehearse there. And I remember we got offered, you know, to do a uh, we got offered this like record contract with Tooth and Nail, and I remember us going like, "Gosh, we have we've, I think we'd played like two shows maybe by then, and we were like, "Gosh, I don't even know if we're even if we can." even do you know like we just didn't even know if we had the time and everything to to go you know we didn't know quite what brandon expected we didn't even really know what tooth and nail was fully about like i think we we're like well you know it's it's like kind of christian affiliated with brandon but he i was under the impression that it kind of wasn't going to be a christian record label and that might have just been my own ignorance you know but i, I think i was just like oh it's just going to be a record label but it, Few of the first bands are kind of Christian affiliated, but Brandon, you know, Brandon's not gonna. He doesn't want to do the whole Christian bookstore thing and and whatnot. And but it was uh, I remember when we got the contract and we were kind of talking about it. It was weirdly enough. I remember Jeremy Enoch was at the house, and we were like, we were like, oh, Jeremy probably knows if this is a good idea or not because he's done records on labels or whatever. And so we're like, Jeremy, is this a good idea or whatever? I remember he was kind of, you know, he was like, I don't know, because we, he barely knew us, you know, but it was, we just really didn't know, like, oh, I don't, don't know if this is a good idea or not, but we just went ahead and did it because we figured, shoot, you know, we could record records and somebody else will pay for it, you know, and, you know, who, who doesn't want to do that, you know, so, so yeah, we just kind of went ahead and did it, and then, uh, yeah, we did that seven inch, and then we did the following three records, um, Definitely went through a lot of variations and a lot of changes in the, and you know, over that time. But yeah, that's that's kind of how we got hooked up with Tooth and Nail, I believe, as far as I can remember at the moment. Yeah, what were your like influences going into like uh, beside this brief hexagonal? Um. Well, I remember you know like. Uh, I know it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, gosh, I'm getting old, but uh. Um, I was, I was real, I'm, I'm, I was kind of a lot more into like, 
Yeah, I definitely was into some sunny days at that time. And, you know, I, I liked um, Shudder to Think and, you know, all, like, Discord stuff. And um, uh, and, and our bass player, Todd, we, we had, like, the exact <laughs> – we almost always had the exact same musical taste because we always went to sh- – we all we went to shows together, you know, in high school until in our twenties, and so we are we had a lot of the same favorite bands, and so his tastes were pretty much exactly like mine. And then like our drummer Joel, like when we started Roadside, Mike and Joel, I I I really had barely I barely knew them when we started that band because I uh, me and Todd's old band Waterfront broke up and. I was a drummer actually in Waterfront. I started as a drummer, and and then in that band we rehearsed in my parents' garage, and they would leave Todd and Jim would leave their guitar and bass there, and I started learning how to play guitar and learning how to play bass. And so I would I was starting to write a lot of the songs for that band. And when we broke up, I kind of was like, well, I'm not a very good drummer, and so I I think I'm more interested in learning guitar. So. So I learned, started to learn guitar over those couple of years. So by the time Roadside started, I was a pretty, that was like maybe my second band playing guitar. And my first, first band playing guitar was kind of a joke. It was like me, Damian Gerardo, Evan, and Matt from, from Blenderhead. And it was a joke band we did called Inferior Decorators. It was like, <laughs> we, it was like we did two, three shows and it was like this, it was kind of just more for fun and comedy than anything, but I was, it was like my first guitar band, so it was fine. But so when we started Roadside, I was a pretty junior guitar player and, and, uh, but I got a hold of Todd and said, Hey, let's, you know, I'm kind of ready to start doing another band, but I want to play guitar in this one. And he's like, okay. And he knew this guy, Mike. And I, and he's like, Oh, I think, you know, this guy, my friend Mike's into getting this band going. So we, we, I met Mike and then we, we got together, played a few times. I think we got together and maybe played once with just three of us to see, you know, if we all got along, you know, if our tastes were all similar. And then we were looking for a drummer, and Mike was like, I know this guy, Joel, plays drums. And so I think when I played with Joel and Mike when wrote that original incarnation and Roadside rehearsed for the first couple of times, I mean, I... I I I barely knew Joel and and Mike at that time, so um, I I still don't even really quite remember what kind of stuff Joel was really into at that time. But I remember Mike was I think a little bit more into kind of like shoegazy kind of stuff, you know, um, which makes a lot of sense because that seems kind of like like his guitar style was definitely a little bit more uh, more in that vein. Um, where I think me and Todd were kind of wanted to you know do kind of like the mellow heavy type thing you know but yeah uh, yeah. you know yeah like we but we kind of meshed it all together into what (laughs) kind of that hexagonal record definitely sounds like a uh kind of a uh loose combination of all those styles so but that as far as style style wise i think that's kind of where we were all at at that time as far as our influences
what led to uh, everybody else leaving the band after that record? Um, well, we, you know, gosh, that record was a real nightmare to make. Um, it just was because we we did the we did the the seven inch and we did it with this guy Kip Beelman and. We, he was, he had actually recorded a lot of the songs for that tooth and nail. I can't remember the comp. It might have been that I'm your biggest fan thing that had like the Fells Way song on there and stuff. And he, he recorded, I believe he recorded that song and he recorded a few. I think he, he may have recorded a Coolidge song, but he, they kind of brought him in for like a, at the studio of Ass. He was like a house engineer there. And they wanted to record like, have a few bands come in to record to do some songs for that comp. And, and we came in to do a song for that comp and we said, well, can we do like two other songs and do the seven inch? And so Kip, uh, Kip did that seven inch and we really liked how that turned out. So we were like, Hey, let's just have Kip do the whole record. And, um, uh, you know, we, we just weren't, we just weren't rehearsed enough when we got in there to do that record. And, um, we all lived not like really far away from each other, but we were a little like geographically challenged as far as like, I, I was living in the U district at that time, which is in, in Seattle. And, uh, Mike, the guitar player was living in North Seattle, but our drummer was living in Linwood, which is even further North Seattle. And then our bass player Todd was living like a half hour South of Seattle. So whenever we would want to rehearse for the most part, I, I would have to go like, pick everybody up <laughs> and then drop them all back off at home. So it was like, cause our friend or our bass player, Todd just didn't have, he only had one car at the time and he was, he had a wife and a kid and he couldn't just leave them at home with no car. So I would need to go pick him up. And then our guitar player, Mike at the time, like his car was like breaking down or something. I don't know, but we just, it was just always really hard for us to get together and practice and so we had kind of like these skeletons of, you know, nine or 10 songs when we got in the studio, but we even, you know, even we knew we were like, Oh, this is just, you know, we're going to just have to try to finesse this in the studio. Cause we had 10 days and we figured, Oh, we, you know, we, you know, we did those three songs on that seven inch in like a day. We can knock out 10 songs in 10 days, even with a little bit of, you know, kind of still working out some structures and stuff. And, uh, it, it, it kind of just started like when we got in the studio, the first day in the studio, Todd, our bass player couldn't even make it. Like, and we didn't, he had his car break down and he was like, I can't even make it in the studio today. And so we were like, okay. So then that first day in the studio, we just had to do songs like just two guitars and drums trying to, and which wasn't a, you know, a good plan for trying to, complete songs when your bass player wasn't there and you're like oh gosh we're so you know it, it was just kind of a kind of a chaotic environment through that record you know we just had guitars that weren't really staying in tune and we had to borrow guitars from another band and it was just yeah it's kind of, it's kind of a miracle that that record actually got completed in those 10 days i mean they were really long Days. I mean, we were getting there at like nine or ten a.m. and being there till like two in the morning, trying to trying to finish it. And uh, but Todd, our bass player, during that time, I think it may have been when we were in the midst of recording that record. He was 
I, I can't I can't remember if he had just had his second kid or he was getting ready to have his second kid, but he was he was moving to Tacoma and it was just starting to be like, you know, logistically and time wise, he knew he wasn't going to be able to con- commit the time to to being in a band because around two thousand nine, we knew he wanted to do some touring. As far as how much, you know, it was still to be decided, but. He knew he wasn't going to be able to contribute the time and go on tour. You know, he had a you know a young family, and he so he kind of was the first to bail out. I know it was it was really hard on him. I remember he was he was really bummed about having to do it. But and then uh, uh, Mike getting out of the band kind of came kind of a lot later. Actually, Joel was kind of the second person to quit. Joel had um cystic fibrosis and so he was a uh, um he was just starting to have some spells where he would need to go into the hospital when it would get real bad and spend some time in the hospital and um like it, it it's kind of to rewind a little bit like after we got done with the record and 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 todd was out of the band you know john ford who, who had just moved up here from oklahoma was living at that house of funk with madness guys and he 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 had kind of was like weirdly enough had offered even when todd was still in the band and we didn't even know he was going to quit he just said hey if you guys ever need a bass player you know i'd be in the plane with you guys i'm like oh yeah yeah you know and then todd quits and so we were like just naturally like well do you want to join the band and he joined the band and then um uh we started playing a few shows with me joel john and mike and then Joel goes and has a really bad spell of cystic fibrosis, and we have the show, and he says, why don't you guys have Matt play with you because he knows all the songs. We practice there. You know, he can he can play the show, you know, and we were like, okay. So we asked Matt, and he was like, hey, can you play this one show with us? And so Matt, you know, agreed to do it and got on the drums, and I remember we did that first rehearsal with me, John, Matt, and and Mike and we were just like, oh my gosh, like nothing against Joel, but it was like, man, these songs sound so, so much better, you know, and uh, uh, just because Matt's just such a good drummer. And yeah. even after one practice, I remember John just being like, oh man, I think we should just have Matt be in the band, you know. And I'm like, well, me and Mike had a little bit more, you know, we felt a little, we definitely had more of a connection with Joel because we'd all started the band together and we're like, well, you know, we got to give let Joel make a decision what he wants to do and whatnot. And I remember we went and talked to him. He was in the hospital at the time and we said, Hey, you know, we rehearsed with Matt. It went well. And he was like, why don't you guys just have Matt, have Matt be in the band. And he was like, I'm, I'm not going to be able to tour because I'd hate to be on tour with you guys. And all of a sudden I get sick. I got to go to the hospital. We cancel a bunch of shows. It just wouldn't be fair to you guys. So, you know, he said, why don't you just ask Matt to be in the band? Like, he kind of gave us his blessing, you know. And So Matt agreed to join the band, and then it was the four-piece for – we did a little West Coast tour and did some local shows. And then um, uh, as far as Mike quitting the band, um, that was – that can't that kind of came probably about – I want to say kind of close to probably about six to nine months after Joel quit. And we were starting to write some songs like, you know, like 
Spanish Trail and the, the two songs on the Polar Split. We were starting to write songs with the new members, and they were just going really, really well. And um, I, I think there just started to be a divide between what Mike wanted to do and what we wanted to do. Um, Mike was still super pretty conservative Christian, you know, pretty, pretty religious at that time. And I definitely wasn't and neither was John. And, uh, it, it kind of started to cause a little bit of a divide. And I kind of think like the couple of straws that probably broke the camel's back with Mike, like the whole sperm and burden thing kind of like, definitely was kind of like the beginning of it um we were we had been writing that we'd written that song it came together really quickly and then john shows up for practice like i got this idea for the title of the song I'm gonna call it sperm ridden burden you know i remember it's like whoa what a what a weird title you know but i i wasn't like offended by it or anything i was like oh what, what, what's that about and he told us what the song was about and i said oh you know cool and I could tell Mike had a little bit more apprehension to it. I don't know if he just thought it was kind of a little maybe obscene or something. I don't know. But he he kind of kept his – I think he kind of kept tight-lipped about it. But by the next time I remember we rehearsed, he was very vocal about his objection to the song title. And he was like, oh, I, can we name it something else? This, it just doesn't even – it doesn't even make sense, you know. And, and – uh uh John, you know, was just pretty, you know, and now that's, you know, I wrote the song for the most part. That's, I'm singing it. I wrote the lyrics. That's what I want it to be. I remember they got into like a really big fight and, uh, argument. And, and you know, I, I was just like, whoa, you know, I, I was trying to, yeah, I think me and Matt were trying to be the mediators. They're like, oh, you know, come on. We can, we can be cool with each other. This will be fine. We'll get through this, whatever. And, and, uh, yeah, I remember the next day trying to call them both up and be like, come on, man, we can get along, you know, we'll, we'll find some middle ground or whatever. And I kind of felt like I kind of smoothed it over a little bit. I remember the next time we practiced, they, they kind of made up a little bit. And then um, I think that kind of, kind of what started to happen from there was that kind of like, I think, uh, kind of think that Mike's song started getting kind of squeezed out of the set list a little bit. And I don't think that was intentional by any means. We were just, we were writing new songs and it felt like a lot of the parts of the songs were either written by me or Jonathan. And I think maybe his creative input was starting to become a little bit smaller. And I think then all of a sudden he maybe felt like his voice as far as, you know, what he thought about song titles or whatnot was starting to get squeezed out. And like I said, it wasn't intentional at all. I think it just said, kind of a natural organic thing that just happened is just how the band grew at that time and uh uh mike actually quit in the middle of a show <laughs> he uh oh, wow. we were yeah i think we were we were we were doing shows at our house we lived at uh that house of funk kind of came to an end and me matt john and uh this guy james who was an ar guy at tooth now we all moved into another house in the U district and we call it the Hiawatha house. And, um, we do shows there every once in a while. And I remember we had a show, I think that show might've been, um, we had mineral play at the house and it was us and another band of mineral. And, um, we, 
I remember that show because I was really sick, and I was like, we were going to play like six or seven songs, and I remember being like, dudes, I, I am... <laughs> I'm down for the count. Like we need to make it small. If I'm gonna play this at all, you know. And so, I remember we were gonna we were gonna do like five or six songs, and one of them was gonna be Mike's song, and then there were some of the newer songs. And then we played the show, and I was just feeling worse and worse as the show was going on. And I remember going there. I think there was like two songs left, and one of them was Mike's, and one was another song. And I remember going, "Hey, can we not play?" Still, which was one of the songs. So I think that was a song from the first record. And I was like, can we just play this last song and be done? It had nothing to do with it because I think the last song might have been Springer and Burden or something, but because it was a short, I could, <laughs> I could get back to bed, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, Mike just, just exploded. Like he, we started playing and in the middle, middle of the song, he just started just getting full emo, like, like, you know, swinging his guitar around, which was not Mike's style at all. He was more of a, you know, like that shoegazer kind of type. And he just started freaking out, which was very, <laughs> you know, you caught your eye. Like, whoa, what's going on here? And then he just was swinging his guitar around. I think he actually hit John in the face accidentally with his guitar and all this stuff. And he basically just threw his guitar down and walked out. And I think the people who were there thought, oh, it's Rosar, man, they're getting all fully freak out emo mode, man, that was, that was amazing. And we're like, no, I think there's actually something really wrong. I think, I think our guitar player just quit, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, so as far as like the real, I mean, that's my opinion on what happened with Mike, but I, to be honest with you, I, I don't think I ever really, like the next day, I think we were all like, you know, I was still getting over the flu, but we were like, anybody know what happened to Mike? His, his stuff's still here, his guitar and stuff. Like, what's what's going on? Nobody had talked to him. I mean, you, you know, this was before the age of cell phones. So it wasn't like I could text him be like, hey, are you okay? You know, what's going on? And we were just kind of in the dark. And I remember trying calling him at his house a few times, like, hey, you know, Doug, give me a call. And uh, he just showed up. I was at work and... And I, I think I got a, I, I think I got home, and they're like, "Hey, uh, Mike quit the band. He showed up here at the house. He grabbed his stuff, and I think he even said, you know, I'm, I'm done with the band. And just grabbed his stuff and took off. And I didn't talk to him for, I don't think I really talked to him again until after, after, almost I think until after I and the day came out, and you know, we kind of, he, he ended up. Getting, he was real involved in the church, and he was—he had just gotten married, and I think he—he he moved to France, I believe. And uh, I just didn't really see him a whole lot, but he—he he kind of flew back in like after I in the day, and kind of connected with me and said, "Hey, you know, I want to get together and hang out." And it was kind of one of those weird deals where we just didn't really address. <laughs> I don't remember if we ever really talked about him quitting. It was just kind of like. Just kind of more like, hey, let's hang out and, you know, chat about old times. And I remember I played him the I Am Today record and, you know, said, hey, here's the new Roadside record. And, you know, it hadn't even come out yet. And I remember that he he, he did say that he liked that record better than Eight Hours Away. That's one of the only <laughs> two things I remember. I don't think he really liked the Eight Hours Away record. I don't know if it was because he, he was kind of, you know, he had played on some of those songs and maybe that was kind of, 
he felt that was like the, you know, <laughs> like the nail in the coffin or something on some of those songs where, you know, maybe he felt a little bit bitter. So it just kind of, yeah, it's like that's kind of how those three guys, you know, ended up leaving the band. Yeah, it's kind of kind of crazy to, to think about, like, how the, the band kind of within a year just was, like, completely different, you know? You guys uh, got to work with Bob Weston on Eight Hours and then Jay Robbins on uh, I Am The Day. What was it like getting to work with those two guys? Um, it was it was awesome. Um, Bob, like I do, it, the thing that's funny about Bob is he had done the Joe Christmas record, and we were familiar with him already. I was already familiar with him because he'd done like Polvo records and a lot of bands that I listened to. And... Um, we also knew he was in shellac with Steve Albini, so and we were fans of shellac. And they were like, and I remember Brandon saying, "Oh, you know, they're doing their record with Bob Weston." And we're like, "Oh, wow, that's really cool." You know, Bob's into doing. You know, we felt like there was such a stigma attached to Tooth and Nail, and we're like, "Ah, oh, you know, he's he's okay with doing a record on Tooth and Nail," but he's like, "Yeah, yeah." So, um, I we I don't even think that we had decided we wanted to do the record with with uh with bob um the, the reason i think it came together to talk about just real happenstance was we had done that first tour with stasaker and our last show was like the cornerstone festival there and and you know back in the day like 95 96 there was just like nowhere to play from like minneapolis to seattle there was just nothing going on in North Dakota. There wasn't anything in Montana. So we would, a lot of our tours would end in the Midwest and then we just have to do this monster drive to get back home. And, uh, um, on that first tour, Matt was playing, he was doing double duty. He was playing with us in Stasaker and Stasaker had more shows after that festival. So Matt, you know, was going to go off with them for like another, week or something like that and then jonathan on a lot of our tours would when they would end in the midwest he would fly back home to oklahoma and and visit his family and so we a lot of times going back home it'd either be just me matt or our roadie we had a roadie named jake at the time and it'd either just be the three of us or even on that first tour it was just me and jake driving all the way back home uh from from illinois so we were we got into Montana and at the beginning of the tour, we had played our friend Andrew's record store that he worked at called Zed records down in Long Beach. And he gave us some band stickers and we put a few of them on our van and we had a big black sticker on our van. And, uh, we, on the way home at the end of that tour, me and Jake were driving through Montana and we stopped at this restaurant to get some lunch and we got done eating. We needed to go get some gas. We drove across the street to this gas station. They had the windows rolled down. It was a hot day. And, you know, pulled up and parked. All of a sudden, Steve Albini 
pokes his head in our passenger window and he's like, I'm Steve Albini and that's a bootleg big black sticker. And we're like, <laughs> wait a minute, what? Like, I mean, we were just completely shocked. Like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Like, time out. And, and, uh, he was like, all of a sudden we're like, whoa, Steve Albini at a gas station in Montana. And, uh, Shellac was on tour at that time. So we got out of the van and met all the guys at Shellac and met Bob. And we were like, hey, you know, you just did the Joe Christmas record. And so there was like, we talked about that and they were just super nice guys. And they're like, well, we're playing Showbox in Seattle on a couple of nights and, you know, you should come out. And we're like, okay. So I went and saw Schlack play a couple nights later. And after they were done, I went up to Bob and said, hey, I don't know if you remember me from the gas station the other day. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, hey, you know, I'm like, what do you think about doing our record? And so he was into it. And, uh, yeah, that's how that, that came together. And, he flew out here and we, we did that record in seven days. Um, it was just, I don't know. It was just a uh, pretty, pretty, uh, it, you know, Bob's kind of doesn't like to use the term. I think producer, he's always like, Oh, you know, I'm just, I'm an engineer. You know, I just want to make your record sound good. I want you guys to be happy with it, but I'm not going to tell you, give you a lot of input as far as like, you know, as far as, taste of things whether you like it or not if you you like it i'm cool with it you know i'm not gonna be really critical of a lot of stuff you know as long as the performances are you're happy with them that's you know that's what i'm here for and so we did the uh you know he flew up and we did it at um we were supposed to do that record at a vast but we ended up doing it at robert lang and uh which was like a really nice studio um and uh yeah, it was just a really good experience, you know. I mean, it really helps when you have a drummer like Matt Johnson who just can, <laughs> like, do songs in, like, one or two tries, you know. It just makes it yeah. go. I mean, I produce, that's like a producer's dream, you know. Like, you know, we're not having to spend a bunch of time, like, doing drum takes because this was all tape days before Pro Tools. So, you know, you, you really kind of needed to get... <laughs> good performances from beginning to end, you know, and, um, uh, yeah, we just had a really good experience. And I remember kind of like he flew in and we picked him up and gone back to the house and he stayed, I remember waking up the next day to go do the first day at the studio. And he was like doing sit-ups in our living room. And I remember going, gosh, this is just weird. Bob Wesson's in our living room doing sit-ups, you know, but, uh, it was a good experience. And then, um, I remember we were going to do, we were going to do the next record with Bob. That was like our whole plan. Like we're going to do the next record with Bob. And, um, I remember Brandon just kind of, Brandon kind of like wanted, I think to extend out his like, you know, portfolio of producers that he worked with, you know, cause it just like kind of get that like street cred thing going, you know, like, Oh, I worked with Bob Weston. I've done this guy, this, that, you know, and, uh, yeah. He was he was wanting us to do the record with Jay Robbins, and I remember being like, "Well, you know, if we're going to do it with somebody not Bob, I was actually I really wanted to do it with this guy John Agnello, who I don't know what he's I know he's done a lot of stuff in the last twenty years since then, but we he had done a, like the Chavez records, which was a band that I was just super huge and into at that time, and and I was like, you know, let's you know." Let's try to get John Agnello. And I remember 
I just I think that John may have been a little bit too expensive, and Jay was you know a little cheaper. But I mean, not no, it wasn't anything that, as far as like we thought that John was better than Jay. It was just like, or that we you know, it was just it definitely had a little bit to do with the budget thing. It was like, oh, Jay's a little cheaper. You know, it'll be cool to do a record with Jay, and I think that Matt was really in the jaw box at that time, and and uh, you know, I, I think he was really excited about the possibility of doing a record with Jay. So Jay agreed to do it, and um, it was it was a really good decision because like Jay like whipped us, definitely whipped me into shape, you know, because he came out, he flew out a couple of days before we were going to start up. Um, we had sent him some demos of the song, just basically room recordings. And then he, he said, you know, I want to fly in a couple of days before and come see you guys practice for a few days because I got suggestions and this and that. And we're like, okay. And so he came out and was like, you know, we really, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I know I'm not a great singer. <laughs> he was like, you know, we really need to work on your vocals and, I got some ideas. We're gonna, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna work on some things. I was like, totally, like, cool. You know, we got definitely push. And Jay is just, uh, just a workaholic in the studio. He was just, you know, it's really easy when you're in the studio just all of a sudden start BSing and, <laughs> you know, cracking jokes and doing this, and you know, you end up wasting some time. Where Jay was kind of like always like, all right, what's next? Let's do something. Let's, you know, he just was let's keep working, let's keep working, like, we got a lot to do, and, um, he was definitely, definitely just more of a producer, you know, and, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it just, I think the record came out really good, and it was just a really positive experience, and he's just, he's just a great guy, and, uh, yeah, it was, it's funny, because I, I kind of feel like that's more the guitar record, where, eight hours away is the drum and bass record. So it's like, yeah. I'm not super stoked with my guitar sound on eight hours away, but John and Matt are really stoked on their sounds where I think the, in the day Matt's, Matt's fine. And I think likes his drum sound. But I always felt like Jonathan's like, Oh, the bass is kind of buried in the mix a little bit, but so it's kind of feel like there's a guitar, you know, I in the day is the guitar record and eight hours away is the drum bass record. But, uh, I, I, I I I just think that might have had a little bit of nature to do with the the song the songwriting from that record to I Am the Day. It just kind of felt like I Am the Day was almost a little bit more of a guitar record, you know, of maybe even just the nature of the songs were a little bit more riffy, you know. But yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, but both records, I mean, yeah, they they both came out. Gr- I mean, that I think it was like after I Am the Day, I remember going, oh man, I wish we could. I, I kind of wasn't like re-record, you know, eight hours away. That wasn't going to happen. But I remember being like, "Oh man, I wish we, I wish we could have gotten this kind of guitar sound on eight hours away." You know, because I felt like my guitars were kind of thin on eight hours away. But um, I mean, I I wouldn't change a thing about either record at this that you know, you know, <laughs> at this time. I think they you know kind of they're kind of definitely their own little little landmark there in, in the small history of that band.
Yeah, so what led to the band breaking up? Um, you know, uh, uh, probably about a year before we broke up, um, Jonathan started playing in Pedro the Lion, and, um, uh, and, and Jonathan started doing his Unwed Sailor stuff, too, um, and I think that, you know, he, uh, I mean, that's another one where I kind of, I don't know if I ever fully got, got quite why Jonathan quit. I, I mean, I, I think it had a lot to do with, you know, maybe, I almost feel sometimes maybe it was almost like the Mike thing a little bit where maybe he was feeling like his creative input in the band was starting to get a little bit smaller because, because I in the day is like, what is it, like eight songs and he, you know, I, I don't, we all, contributed you know but i uh to the writing of the songs and everything but i remember he brought a few things and i think there were songs that actually ended up becoming unwed sailor songs if i it's been so long but i i, I believe that he did bring some of that stuff in i was like well what do you think about this and i remember i remember it kind of being like i kind of wanted roadside to kind of get heavier and heavier a little bit you know and and I was kind of like, well, you know, it's kind of, you know, it sounds like something from the last record, which I'm not opposed to, but I was kind of wanting to steer the band in a little bit of a different direction. And, um, I mean, I think Jonathan was totally fine with adapting and, and growing too, but I don't know if it was a little bit of maybe he just, you know, he was feeling like he wasn't getting his full voice in the band anymore as far as the songwriting and, um, I mean, it probably had nothing to do with that, but I, you know, he'd start playing in, in Pedro and he was doing the Unwed Sailor stuff. And, um, you know, I think he just was starting to be happier playing than Pedro the Lion. Cause I mean, that's kind of how he explained it to me when he did quit because we came back from tour and, um, I mean, it was a real bummer because, you know, we had this thing in Roadside where we always said, man, if we can just get to a point where when we play, we're playing to 100 people, wherever we play at, no more. I mean, if there was more, great. But if we could just get to 100 people wherever we played at, we could we could make money, we could pay our rent, <laughs> which was all we were wanting to do. You know, we could come home, we could pay our rent, we could pay our bills. And, you know, we felt like, oh, man, that would just be, the place to be, you know, and it kind of felt like on our last tour, we were, we were doing that, you know, and we were like, man, we're, we're finally getting to where we wanted to be. Like we came home from that tour and we were actually able to pay rent, you know, and, and, uh, 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 Jonathan again on that tour had stayed behind back in Illinois. And when we got home, we, you know, we had this few weeks, where we were, you know, we didn't, you know, weren't practicing or anything. Jonathan was still gone and we were starting to get asked to play some local shows. And so I remember getting a hold of Jonathan to kind of, or trying to get a hold of him, be like, Hey, you know, what's, what's going on? When are you going to be back? Because we're getting asked to play these shows. I don't know whether to say yes. I don't know whether to say no. And he called and just said, Hey, you know, I'm just letting you know, I'm, I'm going to quit the band. And I was just shocked. I mean, I was like, what you know and he was just like you know i'm i'm doing page line and i just i just feel 
you know, I'm just more into that at the moment. And, and, uh, yeah, I was, I mean, totally blown away. It's like, I, I was kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, and, you know, I wasn't like, I could talk him into not doing it. You know, I was like, Oh, okay. And so I'm not even really sure how that went because I, I think part of it had to do too. I, I think he was planning on moving from, from Seattle too, because he did end up moving shortly thereafter. He moved to, to Chicago. And so, um, and I remember Dave Bazan felt really bad about it. And he actually showed up at like my apartment and was like, Hey, you know, I'm sorry. This wasn't my intention. You know, I didn't want this to happen. In fact, I told Jonathan, you know, if this was going to break up Roadside Monument, then I wasn't even going to let him play in Pedro the Lion, you know. I mean, it's kind of so long ago, it's kind of hard to remember all the details, but it was just kind of, sure. well, you know, you know, Jonathan's on the band, and that's, it is what it is, and there wasn't, like, any getting another bass player. I mean, that never even crossed our minds. It was like, you know, the band's over with, you know, and... um yeah, it was a real t- tough summer because he, he quit in the summer. And I remember just being like, gosh, what a, you know, this band had kind of become my, my life for like three or four years. I mean, even maybe a little longer was over with. And it was like, kind of like, okay, well, what, what are you going to do now? You know? And yeah, it's, it's sad that, that it, you know, fell apart, you know? And then, I mean, we did get back together about, four years later and and uh, I mean that was great you know we had a really good time we toured a Pedro Lion and uh, yeah it was it was almost kind of weird how that came together because I had in that time between when Roadside was broke up till we got back together I, I don't think I talked to Jonathan once in like three or four years um, and then I remember Matt being like Hey, you know, Jonathan wants, you know, he's kind of, he's back in town and he wants to, he wants to do, you know, he wants to do roadside again. And I remember being very, like, not down at first. I was like, no, cause I, I was, I mean, I'll admit I was still pretty bitter about how the band broke up, you know, and I was, you know, I kind of had another band going at that time and then, uh, you know, but it was kind of like a, you know, <laughs> there's definitely like a nostalgic part of me that was like, oh man, it would be cool to kind of play those songs again. And, you know, just, you know, it was just, it was kind of impossible for me to say no, even, <laughs> even, even yeah. though I kind of wanted to just to be like, well, you know, you want to do it. No, you know, just to, just to be kind of small, you know, but I was like, nah, you know, it'll be fun. I can, I can get over it, you know, and stuff. And, and yeah, we we did the band again and then broke up again. <laughs> so okay. yeah, I mean then that was pretty short lived. You know, we did a tour, we did a few shows around town, and then um, we just kind of like we're you know even though it only been four or five years since we'd broken up, we kind of like you know our lives had definitely <laughs> gotten more complex over that time. You know, I. I owned a business at that time and Matt, you know, got married and, you know, uh, 
he was just, you know, Jonathan was still kind of like, kind of got back on board and kind of wanted to do the band like full bore again. And, or at least, you know, to some extent, like pretty, pretty active, you know, and we were like, well, you know, I'm down for doing a little bit of touring, you know, I, I could have done a little bit more than what, you know, maybe what Matt could do. And, but it, it just kind of, we weren't really all on the same level as far as our, our commitment to the band, you know, and, um, we had started writing new songs. We intended to do a new record. Like we, we demoed up like five songs and I think we were even planning on adding on to it and just to go do a whole new roadside album. And then it just kind of fell apart. It's, it's like that one was just kind of more, you, you, you didn't need any of us to say it's, it's over. We all kind of just sense like, eh, this is just kind of not you know, the vibe's not there, you know, and so, yeah, yeah. yeah. and then it wasn't like any of us were moving or anything, because, like, I think after that, after we broke up that time that me and John, John started, we kind of tried to start another band with our friend John Spaulding, and, and nothing really materialized out of that, and then I think that Jonathan just ended up moving back to, I can't remember if he moved back to Chicago or if he moved to Oklahoma at that time, but we just kind of just kind of fell apart, you know, and uh, yeah, it, it's kind of sad that we weren't able to to keep it together long enough to to do that to go record a proper album. But uh, yeah, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, because that song uh, Zizix that uh, ended up on that Cornerstone bootleg, uh, it's really really good. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that was like. Yeah. That was like the first song we wrote when we when we wrote a new song when we got back together. It was kind of a song that I had started working on when I was, I was playing in like Raft of Dead Monkeys, and I was kind of like, it, that kind of a few of the riffs I had written, but I was kind of like, oh, this might be a little too mathy for this band, and you know, and uh, uh, yeah, when we got together, I was like, well, I got the song, and um, yeah, that was one of the songs we demoed. Um, uh, and I think we even talked, I think we maybe even talked about doing that song when we got back together in 2017. I think we mentioned, what do you think about playing that? And I was like, uh, that's, I think that my, for the amount of practice time we were going to have for that show, it was like, uh, probably not a good idea. So, yeah. but yeah, yeah, no, we, we had four other songs too. Um, yeah, they, they're, they're definitely different than like, uh, any of the previous stuff, I mean, they definitely had the elements that were kind of like roadside Bonnie a bit, but there was like, um, I felt like some of the stuff we were doing then was starting to get a little more like, uh, we were definitely starting to get a little more ambient. It was kind of like, I never really played with guitar effects when I was in, you know, like, you know, uh, the early days of roadside. I didn't, all I ever had was an overdrive pedal and a tuner pedal, and that was it. And, you know, I was trying to play with some echo and stuff. So we were, we were starting to kind of try out some different little, you know, musical landscapes. But, um, uh, yeah, it's just kind of sad that we didn't, uh, didn't try to go record those songs proper. <laughs> Thank you. 
So you, you've been in a ton of bands since Roadside, but I'm curious if you uh, want to talk about this new project you have, Graphic Nature. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, uh, started it probably about a year and a half ago. Um, it's with a, uh, this guy, Rob Smith, who still plays in a band called Train Dodge um, that's from Oklahoma. And, um, uh, our friend John's, um, bass, uh, they, I, I met Rob, um, because I was at a, uh, show, um, I was at a, gosh, who was it, a torch show, um, and, uh, uh, the guitar player of torch at that time, the second guitar player was friends with Rob and, um, uh, another guy named Terry who had actually played in Polar for a little bit. And yeah. well, I was at the show and Terry recognized me and said, Hey, you were in Roadside Monument. And I was like, Oh yeah. He goes, Oh, and Terry, I actually played in Polar for a little bit. Um, which I think he was in Polar post when Roadside broke up. So I, I just never met him at that time. At least I don't remember if I did or not. And, um, I was like, oh, yeah, and he's like, hey, this is my friend Rob, you know, and he knew Roadside, and he was like, oh, yeah, playing this band, playing a band, still plays in a band, uh, Train Dodge, and, and I knew Train Dodge, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, and um, we became friends on Facebook and then, like, um, kind of contacted him and said, hey, you know, what do you think about, you know, getting together to jam, and uh, so me and him got together, and uh, we got together with this guy, Jordan, that I knew, and it just wasn't really, like, a good fit, but, uh, Rob knew this, uh, guy, John, and Jonathan, and, uh, he was playing bass in another band they were doing together, and they're still doing together called Support Group, and, uh, he was like, oh, you know, I think he'd be a good fit for what we're trying to do, and so Jonathan joined the band, and, uh, um, yeah, we just clicked really well, and, uh, put together like five songs pretty, pretty quickly and played our very first show actually with Unwet Sailor almost about a year after the roadside little reunion show. Um, Jonathan got a hold of me and said, Hey, you know, I'm going to, Unwed's going to be up there playing Barboza and, you know, is your new band, you think you guys can be ready to, to play? And I was like, yeah, you know, we can, we can pull it together. So we actually played our first show with Jonathan, or uh, with Unwed Sailor, then it was just really, uh, really fun time, and, um, played a few shows after that, we've been a little kind of inactive the last few months, just because, you know, we're all, <laughs> we're all just super busy, I mean, Rob still does his old band Train Dodge, and, um, and then he's, they still do support group, and our bass player's got, I think, two other bands, kind of hard to keep up, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, and so, um, and then also, like, those guys live over in Seattle. I, I live across the water from Seattle now in, in an area called Indianola, which is like a, about a 30-minute bow ride from um, from Seattle. Um, so, you know, I can get together, like, about once a week, sometimes twice when we're getting ready to do a show. But it's but it, it's fine because, you know, the much the amount of time that we put into it is pretty much about the amount of time that I have to put into it. So, yeah. you know, we, it works out really well. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're hoping to record some stuff, um, hoping to this summer, um, record maybe an EP, 
Um, it, it's a uh, it, it's it kind of uh, style wise. I mean, um, it, it's kind of heavy and mellow at the same time. I I kind of tell people I, I uh, maybe more of what I want it to be than maybe how it sounds. But I, I definitely, you know, it, it kind of sounds to me like a cross between like Melbourne's meets Boston. You know, uh, but uh, yeah, it's like it's heavy and kind of ugly and noisy, but then it has really. Um, uh, it's got some really cool little breakdowns that are, you know, just kind of really pretty sounding. And, um, yeah, it, it's going really well. Um, uh, it's just been a little, we've just been a little slow this year to kind of, kind of, you know, get it into another gear, but we're, well, I think we'll, we'll, we'll eventually get in the studio this, this summer and get something out there. But, but uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm having, I'm having a really good time time doing it it's the guys are great we're just you know i bring in ideas and they just you know they can play along to them just immediately it doesn't it's pretty seamless so and they're just they're just great guys we just get along really well and um music taste wise we're all on the same page and yeah it's just a lot of fun listening to As the Story Grows. Our theme song was written and composed by the legendary Bob Nana. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give the show a rating and review. If you'd like to support the show financially, click on the Patreon link at asthestorygrows.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it on social media with your friends. Much appreciated, and thanks for listening.